Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us for this third episode of the PCICS Challenging Cases podcast. Now, this episode is not exactly a challenging case, so that's a little bit of a misnomer, but it actually is a very interesting interview from our most recent Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society meeting in Washington, D.C. So please enjoy the interview and stay tuned for new episodes featuring challenging cases by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or just look for more information on our website at pcics.org. Thank you. My name is Sarah Tabbitt. I'm a cardiac intensivist at the University of California, San Francisco's Benioff Children's Hospital. I have the opportunity today to interview Parvathi and Krishna Ira from New Delhi, India. The setting of this interview is the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society's 2017 annual meeting in Washington, D.C. The reason for the interview is that many would consider Parvathi and Krishna to be the power couple in congenital heart surgery. Parvathi is the head of the cardiac intensive care unit, and Krishna is the head of cardiac surgery at Fortis Escorts Hospital in New Delhi, India. Parvathi and Krishna, thank you very much for taking some time for an interview. Um, I have a few questions to ask you. Um, I wanted to start by asking you where you met. We met in medical school. In New Delhi. In New Delhi. And then I understand you went to Australia for a period of time. I went first. I got a fellowship uh, at the Royal Children's Hospital, 1989. Parvati followed me a few months later. Did she know you or she just happened to go to Australia? Were you married then? No, we were married. Oh, you were married. Okay. Parvati, how many, how many, how much time did you spend in Melbourne? Um, I spent almost four and a half years in Australia between Melbourne and Sydney. Okay. And is that where you did your neonatology and critical care training? That's right. Okay. And I went on to Sydney because I wanted to get good uh, neonatal and perinatal intensive care training um, on board because I thought when I returned to India that would really help me look after the sick babies. And you did your um, congenital heart surgery training in Yes, Melbourne? I spent a year in Melbourne. Uh, I had come back. Parvati stayed on for some more time. At that time, she wasn't intending to do pediatric intensive care, pediatric cardiac intensive care. She basically wanted to be a neonatologist, but when she got back, she decided to change streams. And I understand, did you do your training with Roger Mee? Yes, I did. And uh, Sunji Sana, was he one of your... Sunji Sana was the junior consultant, yes. Uh-huh. That's very good. Um, so can you talk a little bit about starting the program in 1995? Is that what, 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 what existed at the hospital when you got there for congenital heart surgery? Well, I moved in 1995 from the public hospital where I had been for the five years since I had returned from Australia. Uh, set up a fairly active uh, pediatric, uh, I wouldn't say a full-fledged program because it wasn't a program that we're doing all adult as well as pediatric surgery. Uh, but yes, a fair fair volume of pediatric surgery is there. The intent to move to the private hospital setup was to try and uh, show that uh, a pediatric program could be established in a private setup in India, because that was the way things were heading. That uh, healthcare in India was headed towards uh, majority private. Uh, healthcare uh, rather than uh, public-based healthcare. So uh, that was essentially the idea. And um, did you have an ICU when you got there? 
uh, we were promised a very independent ICU. It didn't work out that way, so we had to sort of claw our way into a very hugely successful adult program. So that took a bit of time. So you had the babies in the corner of the adult ICU? Yes, pretty much so. And it, it, it took us um, four or five years by the time we got an independent pediatric floor at the separate pediatric ICU. And when did you come back to help? Um, I returned in 1994 to the public hospital, um, but there they asked me to take care of adults as well as children a position which I wasn't comfortable with. And they said they didn't know what an intensivist was, but since you've done intensive care, you know, we should all benefit. So you look after these 80 and 100 kilo adults as well. I didn't enjoy that. So when did you move to the private hospital? So we moved at the same time as a group, the surgeon, the cardiologist, the anesthetist, and myself included. That was in 1995. And as Krishna just said, uh, for the first few years, we were given a corner of a big adult ICU. Five years later, we got four beds in another adult ICU, but at least one half of that eight-bedded ICU. And it took us 10 years to get our own independent ICU and an entire floor. Wow. So that was 2005 around? Yes. Wow. Exactly that. 2005, we got an entire floor to ourselves, which we now have. And now the situation is reversed. We actually, um, when we are really full up, we actually utilize adult beds on the adult floor. So it's been good. <laughs> and how many cases a year are you doing yourself now? Uh, do between 600 to 700 cases a year. And are you the only, only surgeon doing independent cases? I'm the only main surgeon, yes. Okay. Wow. And I saw somewhere on the internet that it says you've done over 10,000 pediatric to cases. Close to 15,000. 15,000, that's incredible. Um, so tell me a little bit about your day in the operating room. What time do you guys get started? Well, we're pretty relaxed. I'm very fortunate to have a team of anesthesiologists and perfusionists who are very slick with their job. So, so the, the patient normally goes into theater anywhere between 8.30 and 8.45 in the morning. Uh, and we're done with uh, three cases on an average day by five o'clock in the evening. So wow, that's incredible. And that's running one room or two rooms? Two rooms. Two rooms. Yes. And do you use a transthoracic echo, I mean transesophageal uh, echo for all your cases? Uh, very rarely, but we are the first people to advocate uh, epicardial echocardiography, and we do that routinely on every case. Even the babies? Even the babies. Mm -hmm. And I think it's um, a lot superior, uh, or at least equivalent to transesophageal, and certainly a lot easier and better in many cases. That's excellent. Um, and then what percentage of your patients about do you extubate in the operating room? We don't extubate in the operating room for many reasons. One, um, that, uh, A, uh, turnaround time is important for mm -hmm. us. Uh, B, our patients do tend to bleed more. Uh, anybody operating on Asian patients would know that Asians tend to bleed more than the Western patients. So we're never sure which patient is going to have unexpected bleeding in the immediate post-op. So we'd rather wait out the first few hours and see that the patient is absolutely stable before we extubate. Um, and then you told me you finished by 5. Um, and what about weekends? Do you operate on the weekends for Saturday elective is, cases? Saturday is a full working day for us, so it's a six-day week. And of course, uh, Sunday 
educational emergency would turn up. Okay, and so um, can you tell me a little bit more about the ICU? How many beds do you have now? We, um, we have now 15 intensive care beds, 10 step-down beds, which support these 15 intensive care beds, and um, there are another 15 so-called cold beds, but which are, can be potentially monitored. And in the step-down, we do everything but formally ventilate. So even non-invasive ventilation, inotropes, PD, everything goes on in the step-down. So do the patients discharge from step-down, or is there another place they go from step-down before they go um, home? Uh, many patients move from step-down to the area of the ward, which is all on the same floor, and it's like an open kitchen, so everything is connected. But um, sometimes when there's, um, you know, patient overflow and we don't have enough beds, you might get discharged from the step down itself. I see. Also seven-bedded cardiology ICU, which we cover, so that's separate. There's an additional seven-bedded cardiology ICU. Oh. Where all so the these are for the patients. And the medical patients would go there. The medical patients like myocarditis or any pre-op sick patient like a spelling tetralogy or any baby who comes in cardiovascular collapse who needs stabilization and post-intervention patients. So I look after have, them also. You basically have a 22-bed ICU yeah. plus a step-down. Um, and then how many teams do you have that cover all those patients? We don't have any teams. Just I mean, one there's person. me, and I have residents and interns, so it's a very different skill mix. Do you, you, so you round on all the cardiology patients every day? Yes. What about Sunday? I round on Sunday as well, and on all public holidays when I'm in the city, and when I'm not in the city, like now, I phone in between once to several times a day and check out that everything is in order. And how we ensure that we don't miss information is we speak both to the nurse and to the doctor. Wow. So how long does it take you? So you round, say all your beds are full. That's 15 plus 7 is 22 plus 10 is 32 patients. How long does it take you to see all those patients? Two hours. That's it. Yes, we have to be fast because after that I have to see all the post-discharge patients which takes another two hours. Because we have an early discharge program for both economic reasons as well as to see that we clear the waiting list. So they come back the next day after discharge. I mean, like if I've discharged a baby who's undergone an arterial switch, if I discharge today, I say come back tomorrow to see that the mother's got things right. And where do they stay that day that they're gone? Or they stay either in their homes, if they stay in Delhi, or they stay in a nearby hotel or motel, or um, if they are not well off and they are marginalized families, we have tie-ups with non-governmental organizations who provide free accommodation. Sure. Wow, that's excellent. So and what the would ICU your... team does the entire cover, including post-op, including pre-discharge? I mean, so I, along with so... my junior colleagues, we look after all babies, up, uh, babies and children up to one month post-discharge. Wow. And if anybody needs readmission, they get readmitted under us because the definition is at least surgery. one month following discharge is our responsibility. 
Then Even if it's unrelated, like gastroenteritis or whatever. I see. Um, how about training? How many fellows do you say you've trained who are now congenital I'm heart generally, surgeons? I, I generally have two to three surgeons under me training uh, at any particular point of time. Uh, right now I have four, in fact. And uh, they double up both as surgeons as well as ICU doctors. So they do ICU duties as well because uh, training is comprehensive. They not only receive surgical training, but they also need to learn how to look after their patients. And most they start units of their own. Do most of your trainees stay in India when they go out to practice? Yes, fortunately, most of them do. And how about, you, how about your training <coughs> program? Well, um, I've structured our training program in such a way that those who want to do cardiac intensive care can come and do cardiac intensive care. Others want to just get a flavor of intensive care uh, just to add to their general pediatric intensive care training. So they may do six months to one year. There are some who feel that the work milieu is very Western, so that if they work with us, they can easily get a job overseas. Mm -hmm. So about 20% of my trainees have moved overseas. And um, half of them have returned, the other half have stayed on and built successful careers there. Um, the others whom I've trained in India, Many have gone on to set up their own units and have been very successful. I have one who has currently stayed on with me, but he's several years younger and he's, you know, I think five or six years um, been with us. That means he's post-pediatric uh, training, he's got a five or six year experience, so he's still very young. What are you going to do when you retire? Have you got somebody who's going to take over? I'm sure there will be enough of my trainees who will either come back or some will stay back. Um, I've never stopped anyone from uh, moving and uh, starting units of their own. In fact, that was the very aim of starting this program, was to try and encourage people to So we have these ups and downs. I, I, I train somebody, he trains well, then he starts doing independent surgery. So for a period, I have a bit of relief because I have a stable number two who's taking care of the second operating room or taking care. And then he leaves and then I'm back again to down to start all over again and start training the next. It goes up and down. Um, so I had a couple um, uh, sort of more personal questions. What happens if you have a difference of opinion on what, how the patient's care is? Who, who, how do you work that out? Well, most of our fights at home are over oh. patients. <laughs> so. Well, I've uh, learned one thing over the years that the best way to um, back your stand is to marshal all the data. So I put together evidence and say, this is what the evidence says. And that works. <laughs> Do you have children? Yes. How old are they? I have one daughter, and she's currently at university. She's 21. Will she be going into medicine? We hope so. <laughs> And what was it like when she was growing up, when you were working all the time? Did well, she come to the hospital a lot? Yes, she did. She did. And to the conferences? Into the conference. I've conferences. had to take her to meetings when I was talking and she was a little girl. And a couple of times she's had to sit in on my lectures when I had no childcare. And she sat there like a good little child and listened to the whole <laughs> lecture and didn't move. Maybe that's why you were so nice to my daughter in Australia. <laughs> yeah, I was so thrilled. <laughs> uh, 
Um, okay, those were the main questions I have. I really appreciate you guys uh, taking your time. It's very impressive what you've built in New Thank Delhi. You. And Thank hopefully so this will help people learn about it and be motivated. Thank you so much. It was good talking to you as well, Sarah. Please be sure to look out for our next episode next month here on iTunes or through the PCICS website at PCICS.org. The song I Don't Know by Grapes was used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license.